Hello and welcome to one of our many standalone shows for what promises to be a big weekend of racing. We kick off with a couple of shows for Thursday, including this one, where we turn our attention to Colonial Downs in Virginia. They're going to have a big day on Saturday with their Virginia accredited stakes bread card. We'll be back for that one, but we wanted to call attention to it and help kick off the week by looking at this Thursday card. And to do that with me, we bring in a man for whom Colonial Downs is his local track. He's been paying close attention all meet long, covering it at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. He's Michael Domable. Michael, what's going on? How's it going, Pete? Uh, just coming back down to earth after my after my Saratoga trip. Um, still reeling a little bit from the uh, from the events on on Saturday. That was a really tough scene to watch. Um, heart goes out to the to the connections of New York Thunder. Um, so you know, I know you posted a whole show on that, um, and I, I also listened to to the podcast that David Aragona and Craig Milkowski put out on it. It was a little bit of, of a little bit therapeutic to listen to those after the fact, but um, let's turn the proverbial page and hope for better things this weekend. That was the idea. You know, we didn't just want to immediately pivot, wanted to put some content out there and and maybe help people process a little bit. And and obviously those who are still reeling, including you and me, I understand. But one thing about racing is that uh, it, it does, it does have a way of marching on and a big weekend like this, Definitely will provide some uh, some distraction, and I'm excited to turn my attention to places that aren't Saratoga, frankly. Not that I'm not interested in Saratoga this weekend, but it's nice to, you know, just look to what comes next in the form of a meet like the, the Kentucky Downs meet and, of course, the ongoing uh, Colonial Downs meet, and those are the shows we're doing for this Thursday. How's your meet been overall at Colonial? I mean, obviously, I've seen the fine work you've been doing in writing, and that often translates to success at the windows, but sometimes not. So how's it, how's it gone for you in your pocket? Yeah, I think I got off to a little bit of a slow start, but one of the one of the cool things about Colonial is that um, a lot of the horses come back and run a few times during the meet, so really get to utilize some of the stuff that we saw early in the meet um, since I've been following it so closely and, and, and now starting to, to starting to pick up steam. Uh, hopefully we can close strong these last seven race cards. I like the sound of it. Let's look at these races and it'll be fun because I have my sort of outside perspective versus your institutional knowledge and inside perspective. I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of favorites here, but I came up with a clever idea too. Really excited to hear your thoughts and we'll start off by taking a look at the 50-cent late pick five, which begins in race five, and we'll highlight the fact that there's just a 12% takeout here, which is obviously something that uh, we we greatly approve of. I'm looking forward to – I'll be at Kentucky Downs, but I'll be swinging at this sequence as well. It begins at 325 Eastern time, and we start off with this $12,000 claimer for Phillies and Mares, three and up, going five and a half on the turf. Who did you like in here? So I'm actually starting out the sequence with one of my stronger opinions. Um, so we're going to know pretty pretty early on whether whether uh, this is going to go well or not. Um, I think let, let me just start off by talking about where I think a lot of the money will go through. I think the number seven Bunty Windermere is probably going to be the creative pick. By the way, I'll throw that in there right now. <laughs> what was the, oh your uncreative pick? Um, yes. Yeah. So I, I think. I think she'll be the favorite coming off of a race where she pressed the pace um, and and held on pretty well for third and her pace rival fell back to to eighth in that race. But the problem is, is that that same pace rival that forced her to go faster than 
probably she wanted to early is also back in this race. So I don't necessarily know if I want to take that short of a price on her, knowing that she might be softened up yet again by the number one Lovey Lee. The obvious alternative is the number three Bally Hooley, um, who who won uh, just last week um, and now steps up in class to the N3L level. Um, and when the Nagel Barn gets them going right, they normally hold their form. But she does need to take another step forward in terms of speed figures to to really compete with the with the favorite. I actually really like the number six St. Pat's Day, and I think her form is really dirtied up. If you go back to the spring, she really was able to transfer her form from dirt to turf um, and ran really well, blowing out an allowance field at Tampa Bay Downs. And then her last three races I can make excuses for. Three back, that field was really tough. There was some stakes quality horses in that race. And I don't think it's, um, I think it's worthwhile to note that she was bet down to five to one that day. Then I'm willing to draw a line through her race two back where she uh, ran on the synthetic, really never picked up her feet. And then last time out in her local start at Colonial, I think this is one where it, it pays to, to pay attention and, and, and watch the replay because although it's just, although the short comment just says allowed to settle, drop back, she had a lot of trouble that day, multiple times steadied on the back stretch and then sawed off in the lane uh, before the rider just kind of stopped persevering with her and, and let her finish the race. So I think you can also draw a line through that race. If she gets back to the to the Tampa race um, from earlier this year, she can she can win. And I think she'll be a square price. I get it on figures. My fear was that that was earned on a pretty easy lead that day at Tampa. And I certainly didn't see that scenario happening. Are you imagining and taking on faith that she, at this point in her career in her four-year-old year, will be able to try to settle and pass some horses? Yeah, I think, I think she's probably not fast enough to, to go with the one seven. So I think they'll let her, they'll, they'll let her run out of there and then probably sit, I think a cozy, cozy spot in, in, in maybe second or, or maybe third or fourth. You could well be right about Lovely taking the starch out of Bunty Windermere again early, but I was wondering that if connections on both of those might try to either back it down or or try slightly different tactics. Maybe the rail does force uh, Lovey Lee's draw and mean we could get an absolute repeat of that. But I think for me, I was just imagining Bunty Windermere maybe being able to uh, just get a little bit better of a trip settling off attacking a little bit later and getting a, getting a good trip in this and then the rest of the case is just obvious I mean, this is just this is the form horse with strong numbers and might be the best speed going five and a half but i like your case for saint pat's day and i'll certainly be including are there any others you wanted to name check in here or will you just go down with the ship with saint pat's day I'll probably uh make saint pat's day the lone a and then the other two i highlighted the three and the seven um, my backups, but I, I do want to note as well that there has been a little bit of wet weather in the, in the Virginia area the past few days. So if sure. it does come off the turf, then I think St. Pat's day would even be a more likely winner that you can kind of lean on and probably would be a, probably would be a cold single in that case. Interesting. I'll make a note to upgrade on dirt. Hopefully things will hold together and we don't have to, to go to the dirt, but yeah, that's a, that's a good point to make with those uh, hurricane uh, before and after effects causing havoc everywhere it seems let's talk race six twenty-five thousand dollar maiden claimers going a mile and an eighth at potentially key distance mile and an eighth on the turf here and the one that i'm picking i do have a question about the distance very specifically but in the end i the way i run this race in my head the number two here's liam is going to get the trip that i want and i think this might be a horse 
who looked to be finally figuring things out last time, closing without a particularly good setup. I believe this is the weakest field here's Liam has faced. And I'm going to just take the chance that he doesn't get late in that last furlong and can maybe get the job done at the 10th time of asking. Lots you can make cases in for here. Where did you go? I landed on the number one uh, dither. I think that those any race prior to uh, like the beginning of April or Florida Derby Day at, at Gulfstream Park, those those races I'm willing to upgrade versus uh, kind of the, their summer meet. So I think yep. those, even though they were made in optional claimers, I think those races are are of higher quality than what some of these other horses have, have been coming out of. They tried to get dither on to the turf last time out. It looked like what they wanted was a prep anyway. They were they were trying to run at, at five and a half furlongs on the on the turf, which that would have probably been too short for her. Now she gets to stretch out um, to the mile and an eighth, and I think just makes a lot of sense. Breaking from the inside post can get forward, um, and now gets back onto the to the right surface. So I landed on the number one. I I would use primarily the um, the five, six, and seven as backups. Um, I, I'm a little bit uh, anti the number two. Here's Liam, just because in the common race with the number seven King King Covey two back, I thought. Um, I thought the, the, the outside runner, the, the number seven ran a little bit better. Um, and then the number seven King Covey came back and ran into an absolute, I, I would, I would be willing to see wherever integration comes back. Cause that horse looked really good on debut on the, on the million undercard and King Covey, I think, I think ran his race. It's just, he ran into a really good horse, um, in an open maiden special weight event now gets to drop into the maiden claiming rank. So so he makes sense. Uh, number six, Giants Bane pressed a pretty fast pace and was one of the only ones holding on at the end. Um, so I would want to use him as a backup. And then the number five, Awesome City, um, off the layoff for the Cassie Barn, who's really spotted him super well at Colonial this meet. This is the first time that I've seen him have a string at Colonial, and he's been he's been red hot all meet. So I think he knows what levels to place his horses and has been doing really with, really good job with that. So I wouldn't want to get beat. By him either so it'd be uh the one is the a and then the five six seven as backups i definitely get dither and like the idea of having dither on some tickets could get an absolutely perfect trip from in there my excuse for here's liam was i thought was chasing wide and moved a little early that day so maybe it wasn't as bad as the as the bare form looked i could be uh grasping at straws there and then i was also just i was just liking how much more settled the and, and how much more like efficient the pace figures were last time, suggesting that maybe he's going to come forward. We'll see how it plays out. Um, and yeah, this is a race where I could honestly see in certain constructions using every single one of the runners you you mentioned as well. It's, it's not it's not going to be easy, but I just have I have this idea, perhaps incorrect, that uh, here's Liam's ready to take a step forward. We'll see how it plays out on Thursday afternoon as we go to race number seven, sixteen thousand dollar claimers, fillies and mares. Five and a half on the turf, and we'll throw the ball right back in your court, my friend. Yeah, I think um, the number eight Mystic Seaport is a very formidable favorite. Um, I think the race two back puts her in the mix for sure. The, the winner of that race, Shambo, hopefully we'll see wheel back on short rest on the on the Virginia the Virginia bred card on Saturday because she's kind of one of been one of the one of the stars of the meet, running running three times already, winning twice and. And maybe it'll probably maybe we'll come back and be a heavy favorite in in a stakes on Saturday, um, but I think that 
that that form line is is good enough to win here. She should get a good stalking trip outside. Um, she's got for she's got speed early on. Um, but I actually landed on the number six fashionista as the top pick, just because I think the form is a little bit dirtied up with the off the turf races. Um, and those fields, although uh, maiden claiming events, those fields were pretty solid at, at Laurel and Pimlico uh, three and four back. I think she'll just offer a little bit more value than the eight, but those are the two that I need to move on in the, in the pick five sequence. They were the two that I looked at as well. I preferred them in the other order. I put Mystic Seaport on top. The only question being, what's going on with this drop? But the more I looked at it, the less I worried about it. They did. They did only. Um, you know, they only got her for thirty. So it just. It just makes sense, I suppose, from an economic standpoint. That even though you know she's been competitive against higher level claimers, that uh, this is this is the spot probably where she can win. Fashionista absolutely makes sense on numbers, and I'll, I'll have a, on some backups. My fear with her, and tell me, you know, am I is Colonial Downs five and a half similar enough to other tracks? Like at the typical, you know, in California or New York, I would worry very much about Fashionista being too far back. That was my that was my concern. Why I ultimately picked the eight over the six. Is that equally a concern at Colonial Downs? Do you think, or can you make up more ground? I think you can make up a little bit more ground. Now, I mean, it's not it's not to the point where you want to be further back but the way colonial downs is set up it's kind of more it's closer to belmont than it is to saratoga or or santa anita or del mar just in the fact that it's a pretty wide expansive turf course with a pretty long stretch so i feel like you can you've seen a lot of horses be able to make up ground even in these even in these five and a half for long turf sprints turf courses on the outside right yeah, well, they run. They run both uh, outer. They have two tor- turf courses. They run both outer and inner. But uh, for the five and a half furlongs, they run mostly uh, on the outer turf. And that, yeah, that makes it necessarily that makes it a little bit more galloping and is going to pull closers into the into the mix there. Let's go to race number eight. This is where I have my <laughs> maybe half clever, maybe crazy opinion. Uh, but these fillies and mares at the allowance race going a mile on the turf. I'm going to take a chop here with the number seven, Luck in the Dusk. And the case here is, maybe this is just an improving three-year-old. Third time out as a three-year-old, you know, obviously the second race, a lot better than the first race. And I was just making a case to myself that maybe still needed that second race off the layoff. And here we have a hot barn and a horse that can, I think, be held up and make one run in a race where there's plenty of pace at 20 to one on the morning line, I wanted to have some luck in the dusk on the tickets. In addition to the rather obvious best closer type to me, that's number nine Surya. I was going to mess with those two numbers and look a little bit more and try to find a speed horse that, you know, might be able to hang on in the number and and give me another chance to get through in these late pick fives. But am I, uh, am I dreaming with luck in the dusk or can you see it if you squint? Yeah, I definitely think she is one of the the fringe contenders in this race. I do I do think that Kelsey Danner's hot barn distinction comes a lot from her success she's had at the meet with juveniles. Uh, mm-hmm. She's been really hot with with two year old runners, not so much with with uh, three and older like this one. And I didn't really see much punch in the stretch uh, in the race in her last race, uh, and so I don't necessarily think. She's one of the more likely winners, but at twenty to one, I'm not going to talk you yeah. talk you completely. And again, off of my her. case, I totally agree about the punchlessness. That my thought was 
maybe that was in the manner of a horse that was still a little bit short and could come forward again third time off the long layoff. But yeah, I mean, I'm not saying this is the most likely winner or anything. I was just saying it was a, a number to include. Oh yeah, for sure. I think definitely, um, especially if the pace heats up and maybe she can get more of a of a sit and finish ride versus trying to be to be as prominent as she was early on last time. I could definitely see it. I ended up just being super logical and taking who I thought was the best of speed and the best closer um, with landing on the best of speed on top, which is the number five Sal's blue jacket um, gets back to the turf after a, after an off the turf race. Um, the, the, the Delaware maiden win, it, although it came over soft ground, I still think that it was a pretty good field. She beat heckled the, the second place finisher is a, is a decent horse from, from Godolphin and in the Stidham barn Got a pretty good speed figure that day, um, boosted by uh, the fast pace. So I think that e- either or either she'll be able to clear off and 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 set the pace and be able to to finish, or she can maybe sit off and and sit sit third and and get the jump on the number nine Surya, who would be the other one I would want. I think this is probably the last chance for her because she's. racked up a lot of the second place finishes and this is a spot where you think she'll get the pace early on to to set up her late kick but um she's she's found one better a lot of times recently so i do worry about leaning too heavily on on the number nine so that's why i have it have the have the five as the top pick no that makes absolute sense and i'll throw the five in as my as my best of speed potential backup there as well as we move on to the pay leg $12,000 $12,000 maiden claimers, fillies and mares, three and up, going five and a half when it comes to this late pick five with its low 12% takeout, Michael. How are we going to get paid? Yeah, I think I'm going to try um, try the, the JK method in turf sprints where if you just take the best of speed and and hope that that they, that, that holds up uh, throughout the race. And uh, so I landed on their number six, Beer Bali. Last time out, that race was too tough that was a that was a much tougher field um open maiden special weights now gets to drop back in with her friend with her friends in the maiden claiming ranks um two back there was a big field somewhat like this one but there was a lot more pace in that race and that really caused her to to spit the bit in the lane that the the two horses that ended up winning came from pretty far it ran one two came from pretty far back um so i think this this is the spot where she's going to get a little bit more clear on the early lead and be able to take them wire to wire. The number 11 bright moon is going to take a ton of money. And I, I feel like I have to use just because um, she, she does have the best kick. And if anyone goes with the number six beer Bali, then it's definitely going to set up for her. So kind of another situation where you would get best of best of the speeds and the best closer. Um, but I'm going to try to stick with the number six beer Bali on top and hope she can wire the field. I definitely see it. I had beer Bali in the mix, but I had some, some potential goofy ones to throw out at you in here, starting with one that is, is more of a pet trainer play probably than anything else. The number two chalice who is uh, trained and owned by Liz Merriman, who used to train horses for, for me and Sean Clancy uh, many, many moons ago. And then just looking at this one coming back in the, uh, in the much tougher race now, second off a layoff, McLean Hendricks is uh, is Lizzie's son, who was training horses for a while when she was uh, she was inactive. She's back now. It makes it look strange that there's this trainer change. It just it's odd looking form, and I was just going to take a little shot that the chalice might be 
uh, a little bit more, a little bit more likely than the bear form suggests. Didn't get by the morning line maker who made only nine to two. I was thinking it might get a bigger price off the odd looking form. Um, and I think adding blinkers might be, might be helpful there too. That was a number I wanted in addition to the six. And then my other, just, <laughs> I can't really make a case for this horse other than on certain sets of speed figures, uh, money's pretty isn't so far behind these. And I was just looking for something. I was looking for something a little crazy. And th- this horse to me facing what looked to be maybe even a weaker group of, uh, of maiden claimers than what she'd been facing previously. I just wanted to throw her in the mix for a penny. I'll take, I take all your points about the 11. I was thinking I was just going to play it to be open and allow the, the favorite to beat me in this spot. However, if there are ways of including, I'm certainly not objecting, but I had written it down two, nine, and six here to close things out at, at Colonial. You'd think it's obviously going to be pretty formful, but it feels like if it's not, it, doesn't it feel like one of these races that if it's if it if it's not logical, it could be completely crazy? Yeah, definitely. I think that, that happens a lot um, with these nightcaps just because they always have full fields, and if the favorite gets in a little trouble or if the pace is way too hot or way too slow, things goofy things can happen. The one, the one goofy horse for me that I would probably throw in um, would be the number one spun in a million. I find it interesting, and this could be reading a little bit too into to jockey musical chairs, but that Antonio Gallardo ends up on this one despite the fact that uh, Mark Cassie has a runner who's much more fancied on the morning line. Um, I, I, now that would be – this is why like, – because I really can't make a case other than that interesting jockey assignment, this is one where it would be a backup. But I yes. found that one interesting as well um, because Gallardo has been riding first call for Cassie pretty much all meet, and he's got one three to one on the morning line with a with a much uh, with a with a with a rider who he hasn't used at all uh, listed to ride. That's a terrific point, and I think when you view a race as open, that's where you let these softer angles, you know, bring you into a long shot. I don't want to use a soft angle to bring me to a favorite. It's almost like uh, what how we use or how JK and I like to use trainer stats at this point. You know, maybe reasons to not press, not to toss a favorite, but reasons to not press a favorite, reasons to include a long shot. I think it could be similar with those those kind of jockey angles. Because, right, we don't know. There could be some story that has nothing to do with anything. But, I mean, you know, with a good post at five and a half, like, it just doesn't, you know, basically an unexposed horse uh, facing, you know, running at, uh, running at a new low level also. That's another, that's another huge thing i mean all you sometimes in a spot like this like let's say we got the ticket really skinny heading into this race i might include every horse running at a new low level just because you we know over time that's the kind of angle that can produce big long shots so i you know i'm all about the fundamentals in my day-to-day handicapping but when it comes to being clever about ticking instruction and trying to find horses in a spread race. You know, that that's where I might throw the fundamentals not out the window, but look beyond the fundamentals to include some horses that could score big prices. Yeah. And that's, and that's a good point. I think I'll, I'll make a little plug for, for the written analysis. I do. One of the things that I put together at the end of, of every blog post is what I call the cheat sheet where I go through and rank every horse into A's, B's and C's and, and also X's. Um, and then also kind of grade the opinion that I have on the race. If I, if I'm super logical and I'm kind of with the crowd, then it's, and it's a lower grade. But if I've found something to separate my opinion versus, versus how I think the race is going to get bad, I'll upgrade that race. Um, and this is a race where 
I would want to kind of use all those A's, B's, and C's somewhere on on tickets with all A's um, leading up to it. And and really, there's only a few completely completely uh, X'd out for me in this race. Um, so that's where you would try to be skinny up until this race, and then hopefully have a pretty wide wide spread if you've been right early on. That's a concept I don't think we've ever really talked about in the show. The idea, it's a phrase you'll hear a Sean Borman or a Mike Maloney use. I left a horse open. In other words, it's, there's another category, but even beyond sometimes A, B, C, and X, there's those horses to include in the spread race that you essentially, you leave open. You're not really pulling them in to a lot of tickets, but in that combination with the with the all A's, they're like, they're not even quite third level contenders. They're just goofy horses to include in, in a spread race. And, and I think that's a similar concept. And I'm glad you, you plugged the written content because it's free and it's amazingly good. Sometimes, you know, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm happy we give away so much stuff for free on the website. It's part of how we've created our community and we find new listeners. But when you look at the, the level of detail all of our writers, including Michael, go into, it's uh, it's kind of amazing that it's free. So, I mean, not to toot our own horn, but to toot. So go make sure you check out the daily analysis over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Let's put in a quick plug for Horse Player Happy Hour while we're here, Michael. Let's, I know you've been having some success on there this year. I assume we'll be looking for your name on the leaderboard on, on Thursday. You'll be multitasking between Colonial Downs and Kentucky Downs. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I don't know if if the contest has been posted yet. Uh, to, so, to see. it is. What, what what do we got? What races are we? Are we gonna... All Kentucky Downs, three through ten Kentucky Downs. All right, that's the way I'll I'll get involved with Kentucky Downs this meet. It will be through uh will be through uh, Horse Player Happy Hour. Um, yeah, because I'm I'm making a run at the at the tour at the at the tour uh, regular season championship. So I finished in the top. 10 both years. I finished second two years ago. So maybe this will be the year that I can, I can win the season long crown. It would be a great, it would be a great story. That's for sure. And certainly deserved though. You've got some stiff competition over there. If you want to play, if you don't know what we're talking about, horseplayers.com, $20 to play. The house cut goes to thoroughbred aftercare and you have three different ways it's getting close to only being two different ways if you haven't started yet. But I still, but you could still come in and make a huge run and make a run at that overall tour title. It's only how many scores is it the count? This is embarrassing that I'm asking you this, but you you you're going to know better than me. I bet. How many scores count for the overall uh, tour championship? I believe it's eight, and I don't think. I mean, it's tough to get to 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 string them together, but and I don't think anybody has more than uh, more than three or four. Um, have, that have hit the board yet but if you can kind of structure your uh entries in a way where multiple hit the uh hit the top 10 in a week then you could probably jump a lot of people in the leaderboard yeah so you still could probably win overall based on that then you have a chance to qualify for a playoffs you only need to play one week to do that and then of course any week you play you finish in the top 10 percent. you move on to the qualifier the direct qualifier to the breeders cup betting challenge on Saturday. If you haven't gotten involved, get involved. This is a great way to support not only Thoroughbred Aftercare, but also, frankly, us. Make us look good for our clients over there at the Breeders' Cup. So check it out, horseplayers.com. Compete against uh, Michael and the the rest of our our crack team. All right. Good stuff, my friend. I've got another show to do, so we'll we'll leave it here unless you have any uh, closing thoughts for us. Well, that'll be it. Looking forward to uh, turning the page and, and getting through another Another great racing weekend.
We thank our friends at Colonial Downs. You know, let's support the this low takeout plan they have in this late pick five. Thank Michael one more time. Thank everybody out there for listening. For In The Money Media, I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos. <laughs>